0: Good morning, and welcome to Monday Mornings with Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie. And I'm Morgan. Hello. (laughs) Sorry, that was aggressive. (laughs) It's okay. Happy Earth Day. Yeah, that was Earth Day, if anybody couldn't tell. Earth Day. (laughs) It sounded like birthday for a second. Oh. "Oh."
1: Happy E-A-R-T-H Day.
0: Planet day. Mother nature day. Love your mama. Yes, respect her. Go do something
1: nice in your community. Yeah. I was homesick today, so I didn't do anything nice in my community, but
0: I (laughs) I had a very lovely day with my good friend Brittany, and it was nice. We got pedicures and lunch, and I returned some sneakers, and I got me and my niece some matching vans, and we're going to stunt on all them hoes (laughs) (laughs) that's adorable you have to send me a picture that's so cute I will well she just had her tonsils and her adenoids removed this week oh no she's out of preschool for this week and next week so I think I'm gonna try to go visit her next week and bring her her little shoes so we can be matching and she'll be excited of course (laughs) feel better soon Yeah, a little chicken nugget. How was your week? It was pretty good. Um, Not too, too eventful, but, you know, (laughs) how about you? Yeah, same.
1: (laughs) It's been a sleepy one. The weather here has been really nasty this week.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yesterday and today aren't super great. It was nice Tuesday here.
1: Yeah, I guess it was here too, but Wednesday and today, not so to much. <laughs> so, today, because it's Earth Day, we're going to talk about Earth Day.
0: Yes! <laughs> I know that's shocking, but... <laughs> and that this also doesn't come out on Earth Day, but it's Earth Day for yeah. us, so it's Earth yes. Day for you guys now. <laughs> Correct. Earth Day is not a Monday this year, so... Nah. Maybe
1: someday. <laughs> but So we're recording on Earth Day, which is Thursday. Yeah. April 22nd. But, so basically, I'm going to go through the history of Earth Day. And I'm going to bring us into some current events in the world of environmental science and technology. Ooh. That are f- relatively recent. Because, I mean, this past year and a half or so as we all know, has been pretty shitty. (laughs) So I wanted to just bring up some, like, happy environmental things that have happened recently. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Lighten the mood for holiday or observance or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) But, yeah. Are we ready? Yeah. Cool. The first Earth Day was held on April 22nd, 1970, I'm going to read you this quote from Earthday.org because they paint a very romantic story of how the first Earth Day came to be. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Better than I could ever do. (laughs) (laughs) And this is pretty much
0: all from Earthday.org. It's like the Earth Day hub. (laughs) Okay, really quick before you begin, and we can cut this out if this isn't true. Is it true that one of the guys who started Earth Day killed his girlfriend? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> so <laughs> I saw it on Twitter and it was like, show, it was like something weird about like one of the guys who started Earth Day, like, ended up killing his girlfriend later on or something. <laughs> yeah, murdered girlfriend.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> oh is known as the unicorn killer is convicted in murder American environmental activist who's convicted for murdering his ex-girlfriend Ira Inhorn Well the good news is I don't talk about him at all so <laughs> Yeah So oh, he well, composted this... his girlfriend Oh well at least he was environmentally friendly <laughs> And okay,
1: <laughs> this is a lot <laughs> that took a turn very
0: quickly, <laughs> oh my God, yeah, I'm <laughs> we'll have to link this article that I just found in <laughs> and your extra information because that's wild. <laughs> jeez, yeah, definitely. and additional information you can find more about that.
1: We're not gonna go into it. <laughs>
0: Sorry about that one. Continue. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's all good. Quote, Earth Day 1970 gave a voice to an emerging public consciousness about the state of our planet. In the decades leading up to the first Earth Day, Americans were consuming vast amounts of leaded gas through massive and inefficient automobiles. Industry belched out smoke and sludge with little fear of the consequences from either the law or bad press. Air pollution was commonly accepted as the smell of prosperity. Until this point, mainstream America remained largely oblivious to environmental concerns and how a polluted environment threatens human health. However, the stage is set for change with, with the publication of Rachel Carson's New York Times bestseller Silent Spring in 1962. Mm-hmm. The book represented a watershed moment, selling more than 500,000 copies in 24 countries as it raised public awareness and concern for living organisms, the environment, and the inextricable links between pollution and public health end quote
0: (laughs) beautiful
1: thank you thank you if you remember (laughs) from our women's history month episode i talked all about rachel carson so if you want more information on that you can that was a couple episodes ago you can find that on any of our podcast platforms
0: Yeah. yeah it's a very awesome episode um rachel carson is very cool
1: I really enjoyed that episode actually.
0: That one was a really fun one. I really liked learning about Florence Nightingale so everybody should go listen to that too. Yeah. And all uh, of her other episodes if you haven't. So For people who didn't major in history, we sure do like the history of things. <laughs> it's true. I like history in an unstructured setting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when I can read about it by myself. <laughs> or for
0: this pod. Exactly.
1: So, anyway, in January 1969, there was a catastrophic oil spill in Santa Barbara, California, which inspired Senator Gaylord Nelson from Wisconsin to take action. This was during the Vietnam War, so there was also a huge anti-war movement going on, the nucleus of which was college campuses. I'm sure you've seen the pictures, or from, like, <laughs> Forrest Gump.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So the anti-war movement inspired Senator Nelson and his team to bring environmental awareness, specifically in regards to air and water pollution, to college campuses. Hmm. They did this by holding a, quote, teach-in on college campuses, and they chose April 22nd because it's a weekday that typically falls between spring break and final exams, hoping to maximize the number of students that they could get to participate. So. so that's a good um, trivia fact for you. <laughs> <laughs> Someday when you can go to trivia again. Oh, I miss trivia. Me too. I miss going to trivia in college. That's really the only time I ever went.
0: Yeah, and getting those $5 pitchers of like, was it Shock Top?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and free, free beer t-shirts. <laughs> yep.
1: Uh, <laughs> anyway... They changed the name to Earth Day in 1970, which sparked interest throughout the country. So 1970 was the first official Earth Day. Nice. And the event in 1969 was just, they called it like a teach-in on campuses. Yeah. So now I'm just going to talk about a few Earth Days of Notes. Earth Days of Note. (laughs) And then we're going to go right into the articles that I found. I wanted to keep it relatively brief just because I mean, I could go into the history of all these people and <laughs> how the whole environmental movement started. We were kind of talking about that in the Women's History Month episode, so I didn't really feel like I needed to go over it again. Yeah. Yeah. So, the next Earth Day of note was in 1990 when Earth Day became a global event including 141 countries and mobilizing around 200 million people yeah this started to lay yeah that is a lot of people this started to lay the groundwork for the 1992 earth summit in rio de janeiro and in 1950 uh, 1995 i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) i should have taken more sinus meds before this (laughs) Senator Nelson received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which if we also remember, Rachel Carson received that as well, but she received it after her death.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was the highest civilian honor. Other quote Earth Days of Note were in 2000, when the observance expanded to 184 countries, and then again in 2010, when activists had to Hypothetically, battle climate change deniers, a divided em- environmental community, and a public that didn't really care.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep.
1: So, Earthday.org was established and worked to reinvigorate the observance of Earth Day and to quote, reestablish Earth Day as a major moment for global action for the environment, end quote. Ooh. Yeah. Now, 190 countries and about 1 billion people participate in Earth Day activities all over the world. A lot. Even more people than we talked about before. Yeah. <laughs> and Earth Day is widely recognized as the largest secular observance in the world. Wow. Yeah. So there's all your fun facts for you.
0: That's very fun. Um, I know that Greta Turnberg. I think that's how you pronounce it. I always want to say Thornberg, but I know it's a T sound. Um, she does the Fridays for Climate Justice every week. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so she's been doing it for a very long time. And I think, I don't know exactly what they do, if she like walks out of school or what. But there's been a lot of different, there was like a while where people were doing Fridays for Climate Change. I know Jane Fonda got arrested a few times.
1: I love Jane Ponda. Yeah,
0: that was one of the reasons why I started watching Grace and Frankie is because I found out that she was, like, a badass, and so I was like, okay, cool, and...
1: Her and Lily Tomlin, for sure.
0: Yeah, that was when I, like, fell in love with Lily Tomlin and decided I want to be her, but...
1: She does kind of remind me,
0: or you kind of remind me of her a little bit. But,
1: yeah, so now we'll talk about some current events, just like happy things that have happened in the past year or so or have been written about in the past year or so. Nice. Because you know there have been a lot of bad things that have happened in the past like year and a half but there have been some good things too so we'll focus on that for for today. All right so first we're going to talk about the article from Popular Science called fish waste can be recycled into sustainable plastic. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm just going to read straight from the article because I thought that was probably the most efficient way to do it. And most of them are pretty short. So (laughs) that works. Conventional polyurethane, a type of plastic we use for clothes, spray foam, mattresses, and more, are derived from crude oil and a toxic gas called osgene. That might not be how you say it, but <laughs> that's what it looks like, so. <laughs> but it doesn't always have to be this way. Research presented on Monday at the American Chemical Meeting, Chemical Society Meeting, by scientists from the Memorial University of Newfoundland in Canada, shows that they have developed a way to turn fish waste, think heads, bones, tails, into a material very similar to polyurethane but free of petroleum-derived oil. That's good. This plastic made of biological materials could then in turn degrade more easily and not add additional microplastics to the environment which as we know that's a huge problem
0: leggings love to give off microplastics
1: that makes me sad cuz i wear leggings all the time
0: yeah it's really a big it's hard because i'd like destroy my leggings too cuz i wear them so much same <laughs> so every time i needed a new pair I'm like i don't want to <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> when thinking
1: about new ways to create bio derived plastic, Francesca Curtin, a professor, a professor of green chemistry at the Memorial University of Newfoundland, was inspired by her surroundings on the coast of Canada. The aquaculture industry in Newfoundland produces over 50 million pounds of salmon alone, fit for supermarkets. Whoa. That's a lot of fish. <laughs> Still, all of the waste, such as the heads, tails, and bones, typically just get tossed out, creating millions of pounds of waste. Mm. Anywhere from, oh, this is a quote from her, quote, anywhere from 40 to 60% of the landed weight of a fish ends up going into waste, end quote, she says, which potentially 20% of that being oil. She says there is, quote, surprisingly, a lot of fish waste and waste oil that would be produced around the world, end quote instead of using phosgene the toxic gas to make plastics in this fishier process scientists first perform a chemical reaction of fish oil with hydrogen peroxide Curtin says then the substance reacts with carbon dioxide and an amine which links up to the molecules to form a polyurethane like polymer this substance can be turned into stretchy plastic which down the road can be used for products like cling wrap or even medical wound dressing or maybe leggings.
0: I would hope so. <laughs> Coach, if I had leggings that were made out of fish parts later. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> as long I as would they don't so smell like fish parts. <laughs> like, look at my leggings. They're made of fish. <laughs> These are my fish leggings. <laughs> Those aren't fish. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know.
1: <laughs> but, well, it's fun to try and let our imaginations run wild and bounce ideas off of each other of where it could be used, end quote, Curtin says. In their previous iterations of this research, amines derived from cashew nutshells gave the plastic a unique reddish color. Mm. The local aquaculture industry is interested in doing something with their waste material, says Curtin, adding that the fish oil extracted from this kind of waste isn't high enough quality to be used in fish oil supplements. Quote, anything we can do to give them another product that they could sell would really help people living in rural communities, end quote. Which is an interesting point that I had not thought about before. Creating plastic derived from biological materials such as plants and algae is hardly a new concept. Vegetable and soybean oil can also be used to create bioplastics, but this fish oil based plastic can exploit waste that would be destined for the trash instead of growing new crops for plastic, which often can be an energy intensive process.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, And that's like such a good use, like,
1: know, like, reduce, comp- reuse, recycle.
0: Yeah, that's, I just love that. That's so great.
1: <laughs> yeah. Taylor Weiss, an assistant professor in the Environmental and Resource Management Program at Arizona State University, researches how algae can be turned into bioplastic. Weiss, who is also, oh wait, who is not involved in the fish oil plastic research, says that it's A good idea to find ways to use fish waste in areas where it is especially prevalent, such as Newfoundland or Norway. It's great basic research. It will absolutely have its application in a certain place in certain markets, he says. As we approach a future that uses fewer fossil fuels, Weiss adds, it's important to find biological sources that we can use to make plastic. The more carbon we pump out of the ground, the more carbon we then have to pull out of the atmosphere. The more carbon that we keep on Earth and reuse on Earth, the easier it'll be for everything, end quote. I promise this one's almost done. I have one more paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> one of the most critical aspects of bioplastics is how fast and well they degrade in the environment, which would hopefully pre- help prevent addition of even more microplastics to the ocean that plague waterways worldwide. Quote, we're still studying the biodegradation, she says. So the specifics of how long it takes to degrade are entirely unknown, but when it's put into a nice wet environment, microbes start to break it down, which is a good sign for how it would fare in the real world. And in a world where our oceans are rapidly filling up with tiny plastics, finding a double whammy of reducing waste and replacing the trickier substances we depend on becomes all the more enticing.
0: Yes. (laughs) I agree.
1: I love that one. I would totally buy things made of fish plastic. Yeah. Cool. So that's a happy one. Yeah. The next one is called Sunlight to Save the World's Clean Water Crisis. Which is a huge issue. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. And has been for quite some time. Researchers at UNISA have developed a cost-effective technique that could deliver safe drinking water to millions of vulnerable people using cheap sustainable materials and sunlight so currently 1.42 billion people including 450 million children live in areas of high or extremely high water vul- vulnerability and that figure is expected to grow in coming decades oh yeah <laughs> which we even know from places in the united states not to mention very low income countries that have issues with all pretty much all of their natural resources.
0: Yeah.
1: And you learn very on in biology very early on in biology class that water is something we need to live. So Oh yeah. Again. Yeah. But researchers at UNISA's Future Industries Institute have developed a promising new process that could eliminate water stress for millions of people including those living in many of the planet's most vulnerable and disadvantaged communities. A team led by, by associate professor Halon Zhu has, has refined a technique to derive fresh water from seawater, brackish water, or contaminated water through highly efficient solar evaporation, mm. delivering enough daily fresh drinking water for a family of four from just one square meter of source
0: water. Damn. Reminds me of a a Voyage of the Mimi when they get stranded and they have to... (laughs) I have never seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so if anybody else (laughs) did, like, elementary school in Massachusetts or, like, anywhere and did have to watch Voyage of the Mimi... Hey. It was a weird time, but we had to watch it, and uh, it was very strange, but there was one scene where they, like, need to get clean water, and all they have is ocean water, and they, like, use the sun to, like, evaporate it, and they get, like, a tiny bit of water, and they're like, look! (laughs) (laughs)
1: Lovely.
0: (laughs) I'm just gonna read a couple more paragraphs of this one, because there's
1: some intense science that comes up that we don't really need to get into. Gotcha. So, quote, in recent years, there has been a lot of attention on using solar evaporation to create fresh drinking water, but previous techniques have been too inefficient to be practically useful, end quote, Associate Professor Zhu says. Quote, we have overcome these inefficiencies and our technology can now deliver enough fresh water to support many practical needs at a fraction of the cost of existing technologies like reverse osmosis, end quote. At the heart of the system is a highly efficient photothermal structure that sits on the surface of the water source and then converts the sunlight into heat, which focuses energy precisely on the surface to rapidly evaporate the uppermost portion of the liquid.
0: Hmm. So, yeah. Well, exactly like Voyage of the Mimi when they put a big tarp over a thing of water and got some mold droplets. <laughs> so really, they did it first.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's where the inspiration came from.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's after that, I was like, if I ever get stranded on a desert island, this is how I'm going to have to get myself clean drinking water. Because as a child, yes, I did always think that I was going to get abandoned somewhere.
1: Jeez, that was like very much my like irrational fear. I, does
0: everybody have that? Because I had that. <laughs> it's probably just us because anxiety, but... <laughs>
1: yeah true (laughs) but anyway that one was from science daily on april 16th and the source was university of southern australia or south australia Mm. but yeah i thought that was cool because obviously clean drinking water is a huge issue that the world has been battling basically
0: so if you can make a easy and like more effective way to or more efficient way to go about doing that that's huge
1: yeah, I thought that was interesting, and I thought that was very useful.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, sunlight is free. <laughs> Obviously, the technology isn't, but yeah. if you hand out a bunch of those cells, it seems like a process that's easy enough for people to use on their own. This one's fun. <laughs> From CNN. And Taco Bell will start reusing hot sauce packets. Ooh. Yep. By Jordan Valinsky, CNN Business, on April 21st. Taco Bell's plastic hot sauce packets have a short life. After all, what else are you supposed to do with them after they're squeezed to death? <laughs> That's soon changing. The fast, fa- the fast food chain is partnering with her recycling company TerraCycle to give its packets a, quote, spicier second life that doesn't involve a landfill, end quote. <laughs> Taco Bell said in a press release. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Taco Bell said that more than 8 billion sauce packets are used every year in the United States, a massive number, number that's potentially environmentally damaging. Yeah. About, yeah about Essentially. <laughs> Plus, like, you think about it, nobody takes in one hot sauce packet.
0: <laughs> no, and usually they don't even get used half the
1: time, too. True. About 710 million metric tons of plastic will pull pollute the environment by 2040 if action isn't taken, according to a recent study published in Science, the journal. Gotcha. Specific details of how the program will work weren't released. However, Taco Bell did reveal that the Recycling Pilot program will launch later this year and that participation will be simple and involve free shipping. Its ultimate goal is for the discarded sauce packets to have a, quote, exciting future as something totally new. Aww. Calcumell said that it's the first fast food brand to use TerraCycle, a New Jersey-based company that helps big businesses become greener. It has worked with Procter & Gamble, Unilever, and Nestle to help manufacture reusable packaging in place of single-use packages that end up in landfill. (laughs) (laughs) Landfills. Actually, do you know what Bag Bomb is? No. It's like, uh, like a hand salve. It's like a thick lotion cream type thing for your hands. And it usually comes in like a a tin or like a plastic small container. Yeah. And yeah. I somehow at the airport came across a box of Terracycle packaged bag bomb. Oh. And they're like in little like paper containers. Hmm. hmm. It's a weird anecdote, but it happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, but it happened. In this instance, it's collecting non-recyclable materials, melting them down and remolding them into hard plastic that can be recycled again after they're used. I have questions about that, but I think you'll yeah. have to contact TerraCycle for that.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Quote, in the food industry today, there's no widely available solution for recycling the flexible film packets that are so commonly used for condiments. End quote. Liz Matthews, Taco Bell's Global Chief Food Innovation Officer, said in the release. What a job title.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Taco Bell's Global Chief Food Innovation Officer. <laughs> Taco Bell is hoping that by 2024, packaging used by its customers will be fully recyclable, compostable, or reusable across all 7,000 global locations. It's using this pilot program to shape its future recycling efforts. Last year, Taco Bell claimed that it had ditched its popular Mexican pizza because of its packaging, which amounted to to the use of more than 7 million pounds of paperboard per year. Oh, wow yeah that's it for Taco Bell
0: I mean good on them honestly for like
1: they're trying doing it yeah I just really I loved that one (laughs) something like really tickled me about it
0: (laughs) well that's also just like there's so many different times where like it's very important for companies to actually understand that like it's them who needs to change and like right if they're gonna supply a good to people then it needs to be like a sustainable good Right, i agree
1: so our next article is from scientific american and it's called modern alchemists turn airborne co2 into diamonds Ooh! from march 12 2021 and i thought this was relevant because of our last episode because we did talk about diamonds a little bit yeah but yeah The dawn of the Biden administration and its focus on climate change is attracting more industries to a solution that was, until recently, thought to be more trouble than it's worth, the direct removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. The idea of collecting CO2 from the sky and trapping it in valuable products before it can warm the earth is a seductive marketing strategy. I would agree. (laughs) Yeah. Especially for an industry that sells precious items that last, quote, forever. That, in a nutshell, describes the global diamond trade. Hmm. Composed of gem companies valued at roughly $78 billion, the industry has weathered a turbulent 150-year history rife with allegations of environmental and human degradation, which we kind of talked about um, in our Crystals episode with mining issues and all that jazz. Yeah. Blood diamonds. We didn't talk about blood diamonds, but that's what they're referring to now two companies are selling diamonds made in a lab from co2 that once circled the earth the sales pitch can be stunning as ryan shearman the founder and ceo of a new york-based company called ether i think a-e-t-h-e-r recently explained to a reporter for vogue magazine each carat of a diamond removes 20 tons of co2 That, he said, is more invisible gas than the average person produces in a year.
0: That is crazy.
1: Isn't that incredible? (laughs) I
0: was like, what? Per carat? So that's 20 tons of CO2 per carat. Yeah. And let me, how many carats is the average, like? I don't know. If I ever get engaged, I now want one of these (laughs) diamonds. Um average carat size for a center stone is just over one carat the average total carat size for engagement rings including any diamond setting is two carats so basically if you're getting like one to two carats you're taking like 20 to 40 tons
1: yeah yeah the next sentence is with the purchase of a two carat diamond Sherman pointed Uh out you're essentially offsetting two and a half years of your life that's awesome that's amazing oh my gosh so I didn't fact check this, but it's from Scientific American, which is a very reputable source. So,
0: yeah, I think you're okay without fact checking that one. <laughs> <laughs> it can take mother
1: nature as long as a billion years to make diamonds which are formed in rocks. But as Shearman explained in an interview with ENE News, he has developed a patent pending process that can make a batch of diamonds in a lab in 4 weeks.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Unlike other lab-made diamonds, his process starts with CO2 removed from the air. The gas undergoes a chemical reaction where it's subjected to high pressure and extremely high temperatures. All of this created using solar, wind, or hydraulic power. Ooh. Even better. I know. Or as Shearman puts it, quote, we're committed to the unprecedented modern alchemy of turning air pollution into precious stones, end quote. Ether has been selling its diamonds since the beginning of the year at prices ranging from $7,000 for a ring to around $40,000 for earrings with sparkling stone arrangements, which is average, isn't it? I don't know.
0: I don't know, I don't know anything know. about diamonds. Um, I don't know anymore because they used to be like it's so many like so much of your salary, but like, I don't know.
1: It looks like the average price of a ring to spend is $5,500. Okay, not bad. So, it's, like, above average, but not that much above average.
0: Yeah. Way less expensive than I was expecting, so... (laughs) And considering the, like, good that it does for the environment, too, like, if you can afford it, why not? True. True. We have
1: quite a large wait list now, he said. As expected, unfortunately. Damn it. It <laughs> can't drip out in zero impact diamonds. <laughs> Understandable. He has a a British company called Sky Diamond... Which sounds way cooler.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Founded by Dale Vince, an entrepreneur and self styled environmentalist, who says he spent five years researching how to make what he calls, calls the world's first zero impact diamonds. Vince takes frequent, frequent pot shots at the traditional diamond industry, noting that it has a history of using child labor and underpaid women. Mm. He also points to diamond mines that have scarred the earth and damaged wildlife. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm he argues that a lack of regulations has fostered civil wars in africa that can be funded by smuggled stones sometimes called conflict diamonds or blood diamonds yeah. charges like this may stun people in some businesses but they have been ricocheting around the natural diamond industry for a long time
0: yeah.
1: so i'm gonna skip the middle of this article because it's not important into the the origination the origination of the natural diamond industry (laughs) which we're not talking about so i'm just gonna read the last section which is titled (laughs) bling without sting (laughs) (laughs) those concerns about blood diamonds led to marketing opportunities for diamonds that sparkle with the promise of addressing climate change The way the market has been built up, it has so many different players, so it's quite easy to lose track of where diamonds came from, said Shearman, the CEO of Ether, during his interview with E&E News. Quote, the major challenge for the natural diamond industry is that our manufacturing process completely sidesteps their process. We get our carbon from the air, end quote, he said. Shearman's competitor, (laughs) Vince of Sky Diamond, (laughs) which... (laughs) What a title. <laughs> I know it's not his title, but it sounds cool. <laughs> nice to meet you. I'm Vince of Sky Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Sums it up like this in his ads. All the bling, none of the sting.
0: <laughs> Love it. Yeah.
1: Climeworks, a Zurich-based company that extracts CO2 from the air using waste heat from a small town incinerator, says it sells some gas to ether. According to Shearman, the CO2 is sent to a facility in Europe where it's converted into methane. That's sent to a reactor in Chicago where pressure and heat fueled by renewable energy convert it into diamonds. What I hear from that paragraph is you can also make diamonds out of cow farts.
0: Yeah, what I'm also hearing is that they send it halfway around the world, so it probably isn't that environmentally
1: friendly. Yeah, I was also wondering
0: about that. (laughs) But cool either way. (laughs) yeah. Climeworks has gone
1: on to make a business out of accepting donations of CO2 from various sources and for a fee, injecting it into a rock formation near a power plant in Iceland. Once it's underground, the gas is mixed with water and it will turn into a stone in two years. The company is building a pilot plant called Orca that's designed to bury 4,000 tons of CO2 each year. So this company is not the same as either of the diamond companies. They're doing their own thing.
0: That's really cool, though.
1: Yeah, because these Climeworks people are not the same people that are building, growing diamonds in the lab.
0: They're growing them underground. Yes. That's cool. I like that better.
1: Yeah. So far, over 3,000 companies and individuals from 52 countries have made contributions in exchange for a certificate showing that they have permanently stored CO2 underground.
0: Ooh.
1: In January, De Beers... The company that pioneered the global explosion of the diamond business bought a substantial advertisement in the New York Times suggesting that it might reset the industry by adopting 12 new sustainability and ethics goals. Hmm. One of those goals is capturing more CO2 emissions. I love that. Yeah. De Beers has a new program called Carbon Vault, which will use the plentiful supply of rocks in the mines it owns around Kimberley to store CO2. The company, still large but no longer the monopoly that it once was, has formed a new task force to figure out how to use, quote, physical, chemical, and biological methods to accelerate the rock-forming process, end quote. It aims to have an industrial impact. The project is now headed towards field testing. Allison Shaw, a senior geochemist leading the project for De Beers, explained in an advertisement. Forests of trees that store carbon can burn wildfires and underground reservoirs used to dispose of trapped carbon might leak, she said. We know that carbonate materials are stable over hundreds of thousands of years. The end.
0: Woo! Yeah! So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and that's my last article. We don't need to talk about the other one. (laughs) (laughs) It's too, there's too much to go into.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Too much to unpack but anyway yeah that was awesome
1: i hope you learned something happy earth day go do something nice for your planet today and every day really
0: it just got so much sunnier inside the earth is so happy you talked about it
1: (laughs) (laughs) stay tuned next monday and every monday for new episodes
0: you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you like to listen
1: we're on Instagram at Monday Mornings Pod, on Twitter at Monday Mornings P, and we have a Facebook page.
0: If you have questions or topics that you'd like to have covered in a future episode, you can also email us at Monday Mornings Pod at gmail.com. Or DM us. Yeah, that you.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. Again. <laughs> please. None of you have done it. <laughs> Just the same, like 17 people have done it since the beginning. <laughs>
0: but as always start your monday mornings the right way with maddie and morgan bye Bye. happy birthday bye